We're going to study this morning one of the most important passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's an amazing thing. And I was reading Lawrence Vance. Uh, he wrote a commentary on Galatians. And he said that he doesn't know that Paul knew when he wrote this that it was going to become one of the most important verses in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit did. So let's look at this passage and uh, see if we can understand why it is so important. Look with me at verse 11. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before that, certain came from James. He did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Look at verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Isn't verse 16 an amazing verse? By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But that's not the verse that I'm talking about. That is one of the most important verses in the Bible, though it is. It's a very clear statement of doctrine. Now, after you read a verse like 16, doesn't it surprise you that there are still people who believe and teach that salvation is by works? When the Bible is so clear on it. And that's why this passage becomes so important. But look at verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Now, the reason that that verse is one of the most important verses in the Bible is because there's an entire religious system that says that Peter is the head and was the head of the church and that all of the popes seat in, sit in the seat of Peter and are in control of everything that goes on in the church. So this is a really important passage for us to see that. And I hope that you'll be here this evening in the evening service. We're going to look at why Peter was not the first pope. We're going to do that in the evening service tonight, so I hope that you'll be here. We'll look at the Scriptures and try to understand who Peter was and uh, how God used him and try to clear up some of that misunderstanding. But what we have been looking at with Galatians chapter 2 is what's so great about the church. What's so great about the church? And we've learned that the church is great. One of the things that's great about the church is where believers are welcomed. Titus, a Gentile, was brought to Jerusalem and welcomed by the Jewish believers. There's, there are not different races in the church. They, it, it, let me put it this way. Of course, there are different races in the church, but there's not one race that's accepted above another in the churches. Amen? Amen? The Bible says in Acts chapter 17, we are all of one blood. He has made, of us, made us of one blood. There's neither Jew nor Greek in the church, neither bond nor free. We're all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ if we've placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But the other thing that we learned about that was... Man, if somebody comes from a different background than you do and they get saved, they are welcome in the church. Amen? And so the church is a place where believers are welcomed. We also learn that the church is a place where the believer's faith is protected. And the Bible tells us that when false brethren unawares try to creep in, false teachers unaware try to creep into the church, he said, we gave place by subjection, no, not for an hour. We, we didn't let them have leadership in the church. False doctrine is not allowed in a New Testament church. Why? Because false doctrine destroys people. False doctrine will keep people from being saved. It'll send them to hell. False doctrine will keep people from having the liberty in Christ that God has given them and so will hinder them from serving the Lord. So the church is, place where, is a place where the believer's faith is protected. Then last week we learned that, uh, the, that the church is a place where a believer's worth is established. The Bible says, the Apostle Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, These things write I unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself. Listen, in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let me tell you how important you are. And this is not, you know, a Joel Osteen, you know, pump you up message, okay? 
Somebody left a flyer. Was it Wade? Somebody taped a flyer of Joel Osteen coming to town on my chair. just wanted to make sure that I was going to be there. I might go. When is it? We ought to take a contingent there. And Anyway, um, do you know why you're important in the church? Because you are the church. The church is not this building. It's not some organization. The church is a called-out assembly of born-again baptized believers meeting in a specific location for the purpose of carrying out the Great Commission, studying the Word of God, fellowship, observing the ordinances, and teaching people to do all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. That's what a church is. But that's not the only thing the church is. The Bible says the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The church is where the Word of God has been preserved for 2,000 years. The New Testament church. What you believe will be what the next generation believes. If Christ doesn't return for another 200 years, and that's distinctly possible, isn't that right? The Apostle Paul thought he was going to come back while he was alive. Remember, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain. Well, the Apostle Paul got his head cut off. The Lord did not return while Paul was alive, is that right? But Paul expected him to, just like we expect him to come in our lifetime. Amen? Brother Thornton, when we talked about him retiring, he said, no, the Lord's going to return. That's our hope, isn't it? How many of you hope the Lord will just come back soon? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But what if he doesn't come back for another 200 years? Where's the truth going to be? The truth in Sydney will be the truth that we have protected and handed down. That's how important you are. That's why it's important that you know God's Word, that you communicate God's Word to other people, that you believe it. And remember, you don't really know something till you can tell it to somebody else. Remember, Wheel of Fortune Christians? Jeopardy Christians. Did I say that here? Did we cover that here? I can't remember where I said what. Which one are you? You don't really know something till you can tell it to somebody else. If it was up to you, if you were the person that was the last one to communicate God's Word to this community, how would the faith of this community be? That's how important you are. And that's why the Apostle Paul, when he went to Jerusalem and he met with people that were of high estate, he met with the apostles. He met with Peter, James, and John. And he said, they didn't add anything to me. I didn't have any respect for their office. But where they were right on the Word of God, they gave me the right hand of fellowship. They went to the Jews. I went to the Gentiles. We're brothers in Christ. It's such an important thing. Do you guys understand that Peter's not any more important than you? That's hard to grasp, isn't it? Because we have this cult worship, celebrity worship idea that's gotten into our mentality. There is not a believer that's more important than you. Because God created us all to provide something to this church that no one else could provide. God created you to worship Him in a way that no one else can. The apostles were important because they did what God told them to do. You're important because God has given you something to do. The question is, do you believe that it's significant enough to give your life to? So last week we learned that the church is the place where the believers... Worth is established. This week, from this text that we just read, here's what we're going to look at. You know what's so great about the church? It's the place where believers are corrected. That's where believers are corrected. And so, first of all, the first thing that we see from this text is that correction is needed. And it doesn't matter who you are. Correction is needed. Correction is, nece- uh, correction is necessary for everyone, regardless of our accomplishments. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Regardless of our accomplishments, and it doesn't matter if we've accomplished things out in the world, secular world. 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 17. And again, this is Paul teaching Timothy how to be a good pastor. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, 
nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. So here, here what are we doing here? Paul is telling Timothy that, that if you have rich people in your church, you need to charge them not to trust in their riches. You've got to correct their mentality. You have people that they're self-made men. They pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps. Now, honestly, have you ever tried to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? Now, you young people, I don't even know what that's talking about. When you used to put boots on, there's straps on those boots, and you pull yourself, you pull the boot on. Now try to pick yourself up by your bootstraps. It's impossible. You can't do it. No one has ever pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. There's no such thing as a self-made man. Anyone who's ever accomplished anything, they've done it by the giftedness and blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Whether they acknowledge him or not, that's the only way anyone ever accomplishes anything. So what Paul is doing here is instructing Timothy to make sure that you correct successful people in your church. So it doesn't matter what you've accomplished, correction is still needed. But what about really religious people? What about people that have gone to Bible college? What about people that are serving God? What about apostles? Well, that's who's being corrected. Peter, the apostle, is being corrected in this text by Paul, the apostle. And one of the things that's so interesting about this, um, look at where it happens. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Correction is a good thing. It's a helpful thing. I think about Maureen working with our music, Pastor Nathan working with our music. If you've got some people that are singing, and let's say that I'm singing in a, in a trio or something, quartet, and I'm singing, and my, the part that I'm singing, I'm singing it wrong. Well, there are some people that if you correct them, especially musicians, how many of you ever noticed musicians are nuts? Have you ever noticed that, Maureen? Um, <laughs> And so imagine if she corrects me and I say, excuse me, I've been singing for 40 years. I know what I'm supposed to be singing, but I'm singing the wrong note. Would that be a wrong attitude? How many of you think that'd be the wrong attitude? Honestly, I want somebody to tell me if I'm singing it wrong because I'm so proud I don't want to look stupid in front of everybody. It's a good thing for someone to tell you you're singing the wrong note. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Well, it's the same way with your life. If you've got something going on in your life that's going to cause you trouble, correction is a good thing. It's a helpful thing. Instruction from the Word of God can only help you. Correction is necessary for all of us. And so it's for the secular, for those who are in the work of the Lord. The reason that it's necessary for all of us is because our discernment is affected by the world around us. See, I don't, know that, I don't know that any of us really comprehend how much we've been influenced by the culture. Our decision-making is by the culture. Can I give you an example? I know, right? How many of you have ever heard somebody say that? First of all, what does that mean? <laughs> and yet, you hear it all the time. And what's funny is, when you hear people who aren't sure when to use it, and they use it. And then it's really confusing. Why? We're just all affected by our culture. We're all affected by the culture in so many different ways. That's why we need correction. Look, look at what the Bible says. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 14. Our discernment is affected by the world. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 20. This may be one of the most important messages you'll ever hear, not because I'm preaching it, but because what the Bible says about correction is so vital. Proverbs 14, look at verse 12. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's a way that seemeth right. See, that's the problem with our perception. Have you ever said this? I thought it was a good idea at the time. I was out at, uh, in Colorado a couple years ago. My brother-in-law had a Harley. 
And I was riding it. Now he's got a chopper, got his head shaved, and unbelievable. Justin, independent Baptist preacher, this Harley head. Unbelievable. So anyway, I was riding this Harley. And I thought it was a good idea because I had pulled into the garage and the door was there. I thought it was a good idea at the time to get off on the right side of the motorcycle. Wearing shorts. How many of you think that was a good idea? It seemed like a good idea at the time. I had a burn mark on my leg for months. Man, that hurt. It was a really bad idea. Now, here's the deal. I used to ride motor... I rode motorcycles for years. There's a time when I didn't even have a car. I just rode a motorcycle. I lived in Chicago. I'd go out and scrape frost and snow off the seat of my motorcycle and get on and ride it. I'd ridden a motorcycle a lot. Who are you to tell me what side to get off on? It was just a bad idea. Is that right? And yet, for us... We, that's the way that we live. We live our lives, we make our mistakes, we get ruts, grooves in our thinking and our behavior that this is just our natural bent to behave this way. And then we come into the house of God under the preaching of the Word of God and God said, hey, those grooves are in the wrong direction. Your, your thought process has been hampered. It's been hindered. It's been deformed. It's been... Uh, it's been made wrong by the influence of the culture. And that's where the washing of the Word of God is so vitally important. Why? Because of the way that seemeth right unto a man. I thought it was right at the time. So there is the need, all of us need to be corrected. And there's another thing. Look with me at Isaiah chapter 33. Isaiah chapter 33. Very, very important verse in your Bible. Isaiah 33, I had an experience on the airplane this past week I want to tell you about. Isaiah 33, and look at verse 22. Look what the Bible says. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. Is that a great verse? Now, we need, we need to put that verse up on the wall here somewhere. This is it. Let's look at it again. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. That's just a tremendous verse. And I'll tell you why this verse came to mind. I was flying to Jacksonville this past week. I flew out Monday. And the plane was full, just completely full. Packing you in there like sardines. I see these huge guys coming down the down the. Aisle, and I'm thinking, Lord, please, not this one, not this one. No, man, I was in Oklahoma. Or I got a plane. I was flying back from Kansas, went through Oklahoma City or something, and I got on next to a guy that was about this big, and he was filling through the little thing, and I sat like this the whole flight. So I'm praying, God, please, I got work to do. And this little lady comes walking down. Said, yes, hallelujah. And she comes in. She sits down next to me, and really nice lady. Come to find out she's an administrator at Wright State University, and she's in charge of discipline there. And so she's telling me stories about, you know, just these, these young people and that they don't understand right and wrong. And so if, a, if they think that if they just show up to class, they're supposed to get a B just for being there. So the idea of actually doing work, well, oh, I was there. <laughs> And just all kinds of craziness that goes on there. So we start talking. She said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, really? She said, is your church an open church? And I said, well, what do you mean? Do, do we have doors? What do you... <laughs> I always love to make people explain that kind of thing. And she said, um, well, do you, do you accept... Uh, how did she say it? She said, are gay people allowed to come to your church? I said, absolutely. They need to be there. And she said, well, th that's not what I mean. Are you for gay marriage? I said, of course not. And she said, well, who are you to judge? I said, oh, I'm not judging it. She said, God has judged it. She said, well, that's, that's just your interpretation. You guys know that I love that. <laughs> and you all know what I said. 
I said, well, I, I didn't really interpret it. I just read it. I said, now God, I said, God has said that it's wrong behavior. God has said that it's destructive. God said it. I just have to choose whether I'm going to agree with God about it. She said, well, at my church, they're not against it. My pastor, his daughter is gay. And so in a church service just recently, he showed us that those passages aren't really in the Bible, aren't really about that. And I just said, well, that's because your pastor's a liberal. She said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, he doesn't believe the Bible. Well, of course he believes the Bible. He's a pastor. And I said, no, no. And, and I said, I'm not, I'm not talking bad about him. That's what he would call himself. I said, go ask your pastor if he believes in the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. Ask him if he believes in that. Ask him if he believes in the virgin birth, the deity of Christ, the vicarious atonement. Ask him if he believes in those things, and he'll tell you no. She said, really? I said, yeah, yeah. And I said, let me ask you this. She has two boys. Her, son, her husband had just died last year. She's a, she was just in her 30s. And so she has two sons, and she was excited because at her school, at the school her one son goes to, he met two ladies that are married, and they have children, and they invited him to her house, and he was, she was excited that he was going to be able to see what another family would look like. And so I just asked her, I said, so you believe that homosexuality is a healthy alternative lifestyle? She said, well, of course. I, asked, I said, what is the average life expectancy for a gay man apart from AIDS? She said, I don't know. I said, 40. Check it out. 40 years old. So does that sound like a healthy lifestyle to you? So would you want to introduce your sons to a lifestyle that will only allow them to live for 40 years? She said, well, I want them to be happy. I said, well, what if they want to take drugs? Are you going to buy them for them? That'll make them happy. What if they want to become addicted to alcohol? Are you going to help them with that? That'll make them happy. And she said, see, I just don't want to judge. That's what she kept saying. And I said, actually, you do want to judge. She said, well... And we had a little conversation, and, and it was a very friendly conversation. It doesn't sound like it, but it really was. Um, and I said, but you know, the most important thing is what God has said about heaven and hell, and that you can know for sure that you're going to heaven. And she said, well, I believe in Jesus. I said, no, you don't. She said, well, how can you say that? And I said, well, you believe in Jesus, you just don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. I'm not saying that you don't believe in a Jesus that you've created, but you don't believe in the Jesus of the Bible because you want to be the judge. You want to be able to determine what is right and wrong. You want to determine, you want to be able to determine what is moral and immoral. You can't come to Jesus that way. He can't be your Lord and your lapdog at the same time. So when you come to Him, and I took her to Romans, and the Bible says... For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I said, what does Lord mean? And look here. This is telling us who the Lord is. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. How many of you think that's pretty good order for understanding how to get saved? God has established the laws of the universe. I took her to Romans chapter 1. We might as well go. Look at Romans chapter 1. This is so important for our discussion this morning. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, to birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. I said, so here's what they did. They made God what they wanted Him to be. They changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into a God of their own invention. You know, a God that thinks that gay marriage is okay. That kind of God. The God that would not send someone to an eternity in hell. That kind of God. She had asked me about hell. 
if I thought that hell was really a place of fire. And I said, well, that's what the Bible says. But she said, well, isn't that just your interpretation of it? So I took her to Luke chapter 16, where the rich man, being in torment, he said, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, saw, seeing Abraham afar off, said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to dip his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I'm tormented in this flame. I took it to Revelation 21.8, but the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I said, now, I want you to help me with something. You obviously know the English language. You're educated. You have your, do your earned doctorate. You understand the English language, right? She said, yes. I said, give me another interpretation. So there, here, there's, there's a clear reading of this text, and there's something else. Surely these words mean something. What do they mean? She said, well, okay. And, and that, so now we go to Romans. And we went to Romans, and now we're going to read this. So we, I said, you see what they've done? They're, they're changing God into a God of their own creation. Look at the result of doing that. Verse 24. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And I stopped and I said, okay, so they're dishonoring their own bodies between themselves. That's lust. And God calls it uncleanness. Now, so far, I asked her, does this look like something that God is saying is okay? She said, well, probably not. Verse 25. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, remember, these are the same people who would not believe in creation. When you reject creation, then you reject the, the Creator's prerogatives for your life. Okay? So, and here's what happens. Verse 26. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. I said, okay. I said, so when you look at these verses, is there any doubt about what's being discussed? She said, no. I said, so is God for it or against it? She said, well, what if there's something else in the Bible that's different from it? I said, here, find it. Show me. There's not. This is God's teaching. She said something else, and I went to another passage of Scripture. She said, do you know what's on every page of that? <laughs> it was funny. I said, well, no, but this is what I do for a living. I ought to understand it a little bit. But what's interesting is she had these hard, fast opinions about truth, about what was right and wrong, while bemoaning the young people not understanding right and wrong in the college. I said, do you know why those young people don't know right from wrong? She said, why? I said, because people like you are in charge. And she laughed. Well, I don't know that that's fair. I said, what they're doing is they're determining what's right and wrong for themselves. What you're doing is you're determining what's right and wrong for them and for yourself without anyone above you that you can look to as your law giver. I said, your problem is you want to accept a Jesus Christ and believe in a Jesus Christ. You are just rejecting the Jesus Christ of the Bible. And understand, there's a penalty for that. Are you telling me I'm going to hell? I said, yeah. If you don't believe in the Jesus Christ of the Bible, we all I deserve hell. You just looked at the list. When I read that Revelation 21.8, she said, that's everybody. I said, that's right. That's what we all deserve. And if you want to go to heaven, you must come. She said, so are you saying that I've got, to, I've got to reject gay rights to get saved? I said, no. How many of you think that's a shocking statement? I said, no, that's not it. But what you have to do is you have to submit to the God of the Bible. And when you come to him as your Lord and you say, Lord, I'm going to believe whatever you tell me to believe. I'm going to surrender to you as the king of my life. Well, then what will happen is then the Holy Spirit of God will come and dwell in you and those ideas and opinions will change 
because the Word of God will start to change how you think. She said, well, I don't want to change how I think. I said, well, then you can't be saved. You see, we all need correction. And we don't understand how we have been influenced by this culture. And what was wonderful, and honestly, it was a really good conversation, the conversation we had. We laughed, we had fun together, and when, but when she got off that plane, she said, I'm really going to have to think about what you said. I said, that's all I can ask. I said, I'll pray for you. So th this is the idea. Now, we as believers, what's interesting is that we as believers don't understand how we've been influenced by the world in our thinking. The Apostle, Paul had, or the, the Apostle Peter had been influenced by his world. Look at what happened. Look at what happened. In Peter's case, the problem was identified. Well, let's go back to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Look at verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, it withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. That's verse 11, verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. So what is dissimulation? Here's a definition of dissimulation. It's the act of dissembling. Did that help you? Okay. Uh, no, here it is. A hiding under false appearance. That's dissembling. A hiding under false appearance, a feigning, a false pretension, hypocrisy. I was just speaking with uh, Brother Thornton before the service, and he didn't tell you all this, but one of the reasons he's home for four months is in the 10 years that he's been on the field, 16 of his supporting churches have new pastors. This happens all the time. Churches turn over. So he has to come back and meet these guys. And the hard thing for a missionary is it's like he's on trial. And what some missionaries will do is they'll go in and they'll find out what that guy believes and they'll say, that's me. And Brother Thornton said, I can just be myself. And, you know, uh, what, what did you say? I'm not going to sell myself for $50? $50 a month. If he did that, do you know what that would be? Dissembling. That's a perfect example of it, okay? So dis dissimulation may be simply concealed or maybe simply concealment. This is such a good definition. I've got to read it better than that. Okay, Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Listen to what he said. Dissimulation may be simply concealment of the opinions, sentiments, or purpose. So imagine we invite people to church, and then we don't tell them what we believe. We act like something we're not so that we can get more people to come to church. That's dissembling, okay? If you behave in a certain way in one group and you behave in a different way in another group to conceal what you're really like, that's dissembling. So here's what Peter did. There were some guys that were coming from the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem is made up primarily of Jews. Here in Galatia, the Jews are made up primarily of Gentiles. But there are some Jews. Peter, being a Jew, before he heard they were coming... Let's say that we had a meal after church every week. Well, he'd sit with Jews and Gentiles and eat with them. But when he heard that they were coming, here's what he did. He said, okay, today we got some people coming from Jerusalem. So let's make sure you Jews, you sit at your own tables. You Gentiles, you sit at your own tables. And make sure that we have a completely kosher dinner. Because we we, we got to act right. Because these people are coming from Jerusalem and we don't want to insult them. That's what happened. That's what Peter did. And so now look what Paul, verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. You see, Peter had behaved in a way that was not only unchristlike, but it was also going to demonstrate to the people false teaching and false doctrine. What false teaching and false doctrine? Well, that you have to keep the law in order to be a Christian. That, that's what he said. And look at the way that Paul confronted him. Look at verse 
14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. So by doing that, what was he violating? The truth. Okay, let's try this again. By doing that, what was he violating? Simply by refusing to eat with, with Gentiles? Yes. Yes. That was violating the truth of the gospel. Why? Because there's neither Jew nor Greek in the body of Christ. When we get saved, when you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, when you're justified by faith, verse 16, not by the works of the law, you become one in Jesus Christ. So by dividing it by race or by religious practice, that was walking not uprightly, according to the truth of the gospel. Then look at what he says in the middle of verse 14. He said, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou being a Jew livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Peter, you don't live like a Jew anymore. Why are you expecting these Gentiles to now live like Jews? What was he doing? He was confronting his false behavior. His bad behavior, his errant leadership was going to lead people in that church into error. And so Paul confronted him with it. Now, I've got to say a couple of things right here. I do not have time to do all this. Are you all doing okay this morning? Okay. Look what the Bible says. Verse 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face. Okay, remember, Antioch is very important. Antioch is where they were first called Christians. Let's all say that. Antioch was where the believers were first called Christians. How many of you think Antioch becomes really important then? Right? So Antioch is a place that also had a school of Bible interpretation. Because where they're sending out preachers, they'll always be training them. Like in Rosario, Argentina. Well, if you're going to send out preachers, you don't just send them out and say, I hope the Holy Spirit of God fills your mouth. No, you fill their head with the Word of God. Amen? So they were training people in Antioch, and at Antioch they were teaching them the literal interpretation of Scripture. Isn't that important? Out of Antioch. But also out of Antioch came a line of Bible manuscripts. So the Bible that you hold in your hand, the, the manuscripts that your Bible was translated from, come from Antioch. And in those manuscripts, do you know who Peter is confronting? At or, or, do you know who Paul is confronting at Antioch? Peter. That's why it says Peter in your Bible. Y'all with me? We doing all right? So the reason they translated it Peter is because it says Peter. Isn't that profound? You get great stuff here at Grace Baptist Church. Unbelievable. He's called Peter because his name is and because in the Greek it said, Peter, the line of manuscripts comes from Antioch. They're first called Christians at Antioch. They're sending out missionaries from Antioch. Doctrine is being upheld in Antioch. Truth is being profound, uh, uh, proclaimed in Antioch. Literal interpretation of Scripture in Antioch. John Chrysostom, great teacher. All of this teaching comes out of Antioch. There's also another school that's in Alexandria, Egypt. That's where Origen is. Remember, Origen changed the Bible manuscripts 6,000 places, Right? That's where Eusebius gets his teaching from. That's where Jerome gets his teaching from with the Latin Vulgate. That's where Augustine gets his allegorical interpretation of the Bible comes from Antioch. Antioch also has a line of manuscripts. Any, sorry, Alexandria also has its own line of manuscripts. I'm glad somebody's listening. That's cool. Alexandria has its own line of manuscripts. That line that was corrupted by Origen and then endorsed by Augustine and then put into the Vulgate by Jerome, and has been handed down through the Vaticanus, Sinaiticus, these different texts, they change his name to Cephas here. And so Clement of Alexandria, who believed in the allegorical interpretation of Scripture, didn't believe in the literal interpretation of Scripture, he said that this is another Cephas. It's not Peter. Can I ask you a question? What text do you think the Roman Catholic Church uses there? So when the Bible says Antioch and Peter, do you know what it means? Antioch and Peter. We're supposed to learn something from these words. He was confronting Peter. He was confronting the error. 
This is demonstrating that Peter did not come as an authority over Paul. That Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, as a believer, as a leader of the church, individual local churches, he could go and confront error in that church. And he went to Antioch and did that. He withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Very important. So the first thing that we learned was that correction is necessary for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. But then we also see that correction must be done properly. Look at the way he did it. We're back at Galatians chapter 2. Correction must be done correctly, properly. Privately, if the situation allows, and publicly, if the error is public. Look at verse 2. And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. Look at what it says. But privately, to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Look at the next verse. But neither Titus, who was with me being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. So when, when he took Titus with him to Jerusalem to meet, who was he meeting with? People of reputation. He met with them privately. Who are those people? Look at verse 9. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived of the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me the hand, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. All right, so here's what happened. He goes and he meets with them privately. He confronts them privately because there was confusion about the Jewish and Gentile problem. He confronts them privately. But then when Peter brought that error to the churches at Galatia publicly, Peter went, Paul went publicly before them all. Look what it says in verse 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter, before them all. You see? So here's how we learn. Correction must be done properly. So if Brother Maxwell is doing something that's wrong, well, He's an elder in this church. I'm not going to confront him and do something publicly to him. I'm going to go privately and talk to him. Give him the respect that is due. Amen? But what if he's teaching a Sunday school class and teaches error and continues teaching error after he's been confronted about it? Then what do we do? Then I stand up before the church and say, Brother Maxwell, we love him, but look at what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says. This is what he's been teaching. You all need to know, that is not the position of this church. That is wrong. You see, that's exactly what happened in Galatians chapter 2. That's what's going on. Is there anyone in this church more respected than Bob Maxwell? No. If there is, I don't know who it is. And yet, he could not be allowed to bring error into this assembly. Now, praise God, he wouldn't. I'll tell you, when we taught through our baptism booklet, and he came to me and he said, Jimmy, <laughs> I need to be baptized. 84 years old. He was one of the deacons that called me to be the pastor of this church. And yet he realized that he hadn't been scripturally baptized. When he saw the scripture on it, he submitted to it. Is that a man to be respected? Amen. And yet, if he brought error... He would be confronted privately if it was private. If it's public and he refuses to correct it himself, that would have to be addressed publicly. Does that make sense? The same goes for me. The same goes for anyone in this assembly. Correction is necessary, but it must be done properly. And then, correction must be received properly. It must be received properly. Look at Proverbs 27.6. Proverbs 27.6. You know what? Look at verse 5 first. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, you can have somebody that will compliment you and tell you you're doing great when they're your enemy. They want you to keep doing wrong. But when you have somebody that loves you and they give you godly instruction, that hurts. Correction is never fun, is it? It's never fun, but it's good. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 7. How should instruction be received? Correction. What should be our attitude toward it? Look at Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. Now, reproving is showing someone where they're wrong. That's correction. He that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame, 
And he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Okay, so remember what happens. If you correct a wicked person, a scorner, then that causes you trouble. So think about a believer in our culture. If somebody believes in creation, they're flat earthers. Right? If somebody believes that marriage is between a man and a woman for life, then they're, they're bigots. Why? Because you're correcting scorners. All right? Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Do you want to be a scorner? Or do you want to be a wise man? See, the church is where the believer is corrected. You won't get that kind of correction out in the world. You'll only get it from the Word of God in a church that believes it and loves you. Look at chapter 12, Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. Brutish, not brutus. Not bluto. Brutish. You're an animal. What was the lady from Wright State complaining about? Some of their students behave like animals. They're hard to control. Why? Because they've never been taught how to receive instruction. I say it this way. They've never been told no. Right? All right. Look with me at uh, chapter 13, verse 1. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not rebuke. And that's why with our children, when they were little, look at me. Listen to me. Do you hear me? Are you hearing with understanding? <laughs> right? Look at uh, chapter 13, verse 18. Poverty and shame shall be to him that refuseth instruction, but he that regardeth reproof shall be honored. Correction. Reproof. You'll be honored. Regard it. You listen to it. You take notice of it. 15. Proverbs 15, verse 32. Proverbs 15, 32. He that refuseth instruction, look at this, despiseth his own soul. But he that heareth reproof getteth understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Why is that? Because you can't be honored until you've been corrected. You can't receive correction until you humble yourself to receive it. All right? Look at uh, chapter 19, Proverbs 19 and verse 20. Proverbs 19 and verse 20. Hear counsel and, rece and receive instruction that thou mayest be wise in thy latter end. It's very simple. The church, what's so great about the church? It's where, it's where correction is received. Now, look at Second uh, Peter and let's be done. I want you to see how Peter received it. We looked at this briefly last week, but I want to refer to it again. How did Peter receive the rebuke of the Apostle Paul? And let's see what would happen if he hadn't received it well. If he hadn't received it well, we wouldn't have the books of First and Second Peter. How many of you think that if he refused the instruction about the gospel and the way to behave, how many of you think that God would have used him then to pen two books of the Bible. Anybody think that God would have done that? No. He received the instruction well. Let's look at how well he received it. 2 Peter chapter 3. And look at verse 15. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. All right? So he, he says, we're, we're talking about long-suffering brings salvation. Salvation is so important. We learn this from our beloved brother Paul. And let's look at what he learned. Look with me at verse 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led aware, away with the error of wickedness, Fall from your own steadfastness. So don't do that. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So, okay, there's a but there. A contrasting conjunction. Don't fall from the steadfastness. Don't do that. But grow in grace. 
The opposite of growing in grace is falling from the steadfastness. Is that right? Do you see that? Where did he learn about it? From his beloved brother, Paul. Do you know what he's saying? Thank you, Paul. I love you, Paul. You showed me the truth. You showed me the truth. Do you want to know how great Peter is? you want to know how great Peter is? He received instruction. He received correction. He could have split the church. He could have gone and started another sect of Christianity. He could have hindered the work. He could have undermined the Apostle Paul. What did he do? Remember what he did after he denied Christ? He wept bitterly. He got it right. He behaved properly. He lived and taught the truth of the gospel after he had been publicly humiliated. We need some more Peters. We need some more Pauls. We need biblical Christianity. You know what's so great about the church? It's where all that's found. It's where biblical instruction is given and received. And here's where that becomes so important, man. When you are in these dark times, Kathy just told me that she's got, now got to go through a new kind of cancer treatment. We're praying that the cancer that's in her lungs doesn't get to her liver. Well, I'll tell you what. Whether or not the gospel is true, it's really important when you might not live another year. How do we pray for these things? How, how do you live the Christian life at that time? How do we do that? You can't do that if you don't know what the Bible says. It's so important. Kathy has been a model of a godly lady through this trouble. Why? Because she studies this book night and day. She knows God. She knows God's Word. See, when you're really in trouble, the truth is what's important. When you just have a bad attitude, you want somebody to make you feel better. Do you know what you need when you got a bad attitude? Correction. Correction. My dad used to give attitude adjustments. <laughs> Y'all remember? You ever get an attitude adjustment? Board of learning applied to the seat of or board of education applied to the seat of learning. That's what God does for us. He gives us instruction. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. It's a place where correction is received. You know what I'm so glad of? I'm so glad that Tony knows about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm glad he knows where salvation is. And I'm glad that your brother knew that, Tony. He knows where he is. And like David said, he can't come to me, but I can go to him. That is the hope of the truth of the gospel. It's the hope of the Word of God. And when people try to undermine that, we're not going to let it stand. No, not for an hour. Amen? Amen? But we're going to receive biblical instruction. Give and receive it. Why? Why? Well, Paul says it in verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise the Lord. What a Bible we have. What a church God has given us. We're so vital to His work. And part of that is giving and receiving biblical instruction. Let's make sure that we're in the right place. Amen? That we're giving biblical instruction and receiving biblical instruction. And we're trying to be like Christ. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Lord, I'm thankful.